Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Handlebars, Fox Racing, and Alpine Stars MX. This podcast also brought to you by Lund MX YouTube channel. If you haven't followed and subscribed, hit that notification bell over at Lund MX. You need to do so, because this podcast is dedicated to Clint Lund and everything that he does for the sport of motocross. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. But for his first time, and it won't be his last, on the podcast, none other than Lund MX's Clint Lund. Clint, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for making some time for the Big MX Radio podcast. I'm calling down to the beautiful state of California, which uh, you've got to be spending some time right now and kind of looking around to uh, basically just appreciate your surroundings because uh, it, it won't be long before uh, that scenery looks a little bit different for you. It's going to change quite a bit. It's going to change, man. So um, where does our story begin with you? You, you? I've been following along with your social media, whether it be on uh, YouTube or Instagram. I don't, I don't know if you're on Twitter, but maybe you are. I, I think tw- Twitter is kind of a barren wasteland of uh, negativity na- uh, lately. But um, where does uh, our story begin as far as uh, swapping uh, content back and forth and essentially uh, you placing me on your story to make fun of my brand new haircut that I just got like an hour ago? <laughs> well, uh, I tell you what, man, um, our, our buddy, um, from, uh, the collective experience, Dave Drake's had a little bit to do with that. Never heard uh, of her. Huh? Never heard of her ever? No, no, no. no. He's just this long haired, long haired chick, super hot. Dig yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, you had to turn me on onto big MX radio. And I was like, dude, I like this because I can tell this dude's not biased. He's not bought out. He goes on. He tell, tells the truth. And you have some really compelling people on your podcast, man. Thank I mean, you. now you got me. I don't know where you're going to go from here. But, man, the, some, some of the people in the past have just been like, man, he's got good content. Hey, well, I appreciate that. I actually I actually texted a good friend of mine, Donnie McGordy, down in, Cal- in Florida. And I let him know that Clint Lund's coming on. And he said, you've, uh, you've officially achieved it. He's going to send my contact information along to Ricky Carmichael. Uh, I've got the goat of builds. Now I get to get the goat of motocross. So uh, it's all coming full circle. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Dialed. Making moves. So, um, obviously, great friends with Dave Drakes. The Dave Drakes, the, cl- the owner, operator, and big boss of the hot sauce over at the Collective Experience. Um, he's, he speaks highly of you. Maybe he lies about some things here and there that, that is yet to be seen. Uh, but regardless, what I've come to find is that you've really unlocked something that, uh, I am, have currently, uh, not done. So is that success and the great following on the great platform that is YouTube and, uh, people can follow along because like, like myself, you're a real individual. You're uh, you make mistakes, you're raw, you, you show people everything behind the curtain. And that's sort of the essence of the collective experience. And you sort of bring that forward through a lot of the, the bike builds that you do. And you've been doing that for a long period of time. My question to you is where does this whole story begin? Where does you become so addicted to the sport of motocross that you basically build, um, build a, a career around it, build a passion around it? Yeah, it's uh, I was I was actually talking with Drake on his podcast uh, or web webcast whatever that is, but I was just he asked the same question and it, it kind of happened completely by accident. Um, it was at the time YouTube to me was almost like a just a, a, like a a video sharing platform to loved ones, and so like we were we we had uh, my both my kids' grandparents and great grandparents lived out of state. And uh, they weren't there to see the progression with him riding dirt bikes and all this stuff. So, but they liked to support him in that. So, I would take videos of him riding, practicing, and upload it to YouTube. But I didn't know about this whole share private or share unlisted option. And uh, so, like, I'd send them videos of him riding. I, I sent him, them videos of like when he got his first kick, sixty-five on his ninth birthday, and like. Um, you know, I, I started getting these weird emails from YouTube, you know, saying, congratulations, you, 
you have hit a thousand subscribers. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then like, and then there was another email shortly after that was like monetize today, you know, start collecting your earnings. I'm like, what is this thing talking about? And I, I just, I put it away. I'm like, whatever, like stupid. I'm not going to go do this whole thing right now. And then one day it said, uh, you have money waiting for you. And you know how scammy emails could be, especially like from anyone could pretend to be YouTube. Anyone could pretend to be Twitter or whatever. And it, it, it said like, it's, it's your money's waiting for you. I, I'm totally, totally taking this out of context. Like, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it's like, you know, basically you have money waiting for you. Claim it today. And yeah. I kind of opened the email. more. Such a scammy like, looking like, okay. email. Yeah. I was like, you know, this is totally going to be scammy. Like this is such a waste of my time. Open it. And it was real links, you know, to YouTube. It wasn't like a, uh, a dot and then going to other, you know, some other EU or just not a .com, just something else like out, out of the country. And I'm like, okay, follow through with it. And then, so it had me do all the sign up stuff. And then like, after I went through all the BS and then it said, yeah, but they owed me 1500 bucks. And I was like, what? Like for, for what, what did I do? And then, so I went over and you could see, I had to download this whole analytics thing. And it showed me that the video where I bought my son's kick 65 and gave it to him to send to my, my grandparents and his grandparents had like, 2.5 million views or something like that and I was like are you serious and like that's the only one that paid you know all the other ones had views and then yeah I had like 2,000 subscribers I was like okay like there's is there something to this here like so I turned it from like uh, immediately like I was like okay there's there's got to be something to this and so I started doing just stupid uploads uh, I had um, started doing like everything from tire swaps fork rebuilds uh, really trying to find out, like, if there was anything to this. And then, you know, um, it YouTube will only pay you if you have over $100 worth of ad revenue uh, to receive. Okay. So I remember, like, like I was putting up, I put out all these videos, and, like, I wasn't getting any more money. I just got that one, like, $1,500 deposit and then nothing after that. And so I kind of just went away from it. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, uh, yeah, uh, a month or two later, then all of a sudden, you know, my bank account shows a deposit for like 180 bucks. I was like, Ooh, so there is something in there. And so it, it at first was just kind of like, like a, if, because I was doing at the time I was, I was working out of what I so lovingly call my shop garage, whatever, which is my garage out of my two car garage in my house. And it's a shop garage, whatever, because like when, it, you know, I did local advertisement, people could bring their bikes over here and I'd fix them. And, so it's like, it's funny because they would always hit me up and say like, hey, where's your shop located? I'm like, uh, it's at a residence over here. And and so it's like, yeah, it's the shop garage, whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, and then I'll use the customer's bikes to also film anything informative, carburetor cleaning. There was one for like a, a 660 Yamaha Raptor carb rebuild that did really good back in the time. And yeah, just all of a sudden, like I started noticing, yeah, like a hundred bucks would come every month or just over a hundred bucks would come every month. And it was really cool. And you've kept at it, man. I, what I really like about it is that you've also, not only do you share your knowledge uh, in a really kind of entertaining way, is that you empower others to be able to do the same and uh, and sharpen their skills, uh, what type of tools to use, how to use them, uh, and really like in uh, on some really in-depth stuff, kind of a beginner's guide to a lot of things to uh, make it feel like uh, even even a, a very amateur wrench like me could actually get some of the stuff done in the shop. Yeah, I mean, so that was obviously that was something that it tugged at my personal heartstrings because I was never rich. I was never given something that I didn't have to work my ass off for. Like I, I bought my first dirt bike, my, my dad had a big crash when I was a teenager and he basically put it up to my brother and I, he said, listen, I'm not going to ride anymore. He broke his back. He's like, but he didn't get paralyzed. He just really injured his back. I mean, he broke it. And then, so he said, Hey, I'm going to give you guys option. Like if you want to keep your dirt bike, that's up to you, but I'm not going to support you in it anymore. And, uh, we can sell the bike though and get some new BMX bikes. Cause my brother and I were into racing BMX at the time too. Right. So we said, my brother and I was, we're like, fine, yeah, let's sell the dirt bike. We'll get some brand new BMX bikes. So, and then I, I raced BMX, you know, through to about uh, 17 years old. And then I threw in the towel on that just because the class started getting way gnarly. And like, um, 
you know, I, I was like, it was like this hole in me, this deep, dark hole that just got totally taken from me. I just, I got uh, a mini bike, a little Honda mini trail Z50 and I rebuilt that. And then I was riding that thing way harder than it deserved. And then it just kind of scaled up and then I'd find a bigger bike and a bigger bike. And then finally, like, I remember when I, I gave all my savings, every I was out like doing chores for other people, trying to earn money because I found a 1988 YZ250 uh, in this dude's backyard. Like I saw, because we're, next, we're near the sand dunes here, the Pismo Beach sand dunes. I saw the dune flag sticking up out of the backyard. And I was like, huh, wonder what that's attached to. So I peeked over his fence and there's this tattered old, 1988 YZ250 with a tiger stripe seat that was all worn and gummy and it, yeah I mean it was disgusting this bike was decrepit so I went around the front door and said hey would you sell that thing and he's like it uh, belongs to my brother he's in jail I can ask him and I'm like yeah ask him and so like a few weeks later he called me and said yeah brother wants 500 bucks for it and I was, I was like cool does it run he goes it was run when parked and, uh, <laughs> classic I remember going over there, though. With, I, I saved up. I worked hard, got 500 bucks, went over there. He had the title, and I fired it up with this ancient gap that was in this thing and uh, rode it on the street. It was probably about two miles from my house. Rode it on the street. The clutch was completely frozen shut. Like, the clutch did not work at all. So I had to, like, start it, get it rolling down a hill, tap it into first, and I remember, like, the whole way home just trying to work the clutch and, and throttle, trying to get the clutch to break loose, and it did. And it was, it was awesome, dude. Like, I took that thing home, and I, I started making all kinds of weird mods to it, trying to fit newer plastics on it to make it look newer. And, yeah, that's kind of where it was born, like, to just push that envelope a little bit. Like, um, what else will work? What else will fit? And, yeah, man, that's kind of where it just it really took off for me. And so from, from where, where I was going with that is, like, I wasn't ever given anything. I always had to work hard. And so I thought empowering the viewers – to be able to do this stuff on their own also would uh, would just be one of the greatest things I can give back is just, you know, dealerships, mechanics, guys who do this for a living at shops, I'm not tearing them down. They're doing what they have to do. They do it great too. A lot of them are really great mechanics. But let's be honest, there's a large majority of us that will sit on a broken dirt bike for years and end up selling it for nothing because we didn't know how to fix it. Right. So, my heart i literally have one like that i have uh 2006 uh 250f uh has a, i believe it has a bent shift fork it, it gets a false neutral between second and third uh no i don't have the proper tools or the know-how to fix it and it's it sat for over 10 years now yeah and to see that's what happens though these kids maybe a dad or a grandma someone you know got them a bike or maybe they earned it and bought it from a yard sale who knows but either way like, I wanted to hopefully create, like, a little bit of a channel where people can, yeah, learn something and, and maybe try to tackle this at home. And through the years, like, I've kind of, uh, I've obviously changed the channel a little bit. I've adapted the uh, the, the very much home-built aspect of, of the video into, you know, a little bit minor tutorial. I don't do too many tutorials anymore just because it's so subjective. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's a dozen ways to put it in a top end and everyone's going to tell you that's the wrong way. And it'll mm -hmm. be like five guys that are like, no, I've always done it. So it's like, um, it's, it always kind of gets a little heated in some topics on, especially when I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't like to pull out that card. Like, Hey, I'm a AMA supercross mechanic. Like maybe I have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of trust in, in what I say because I'm, I've experienced it. I don't want to throw that out there. I really don't. And some people do come to my rescue. Like, dude, I think this guy would know he's been doing this for a little bit and he's, you know, on professional ranks, but that's like, that still isn't what I'm trying to achieve. I just want to help out the community and show them how easy it is. You buy the parts, you do it at home, you make your bike run again and also try to include some videos on how to keep them running good beyond the normal things you can look up from like moving your chain, throttle cable, changing your oil filters, whatever, like try to dive into a little bit more of the, the details of how to make these things last a little bit longer. Yeah. Those are, those would be the videos that I'm making the very basic stuff, like how to replace the grips. Um, but uh, yeah, I was about to say <laughs> the, the YouTube comments, uh, can be an interesting realm to dive into. Uh, probably the same people who are on Twitter, actually. Um, 
But uh, so, how, like, how did it progress to the point where you really started to? Uh, all right, I'm going to start investing in uh, finding some uh, some bikes to rebuild. And, and how did you go about choosing them? And uh, uh, maybe a better question before all of that is: Where do the Entic naps come into all this? And uh, and and how awesome is, has it been to sort of have those guys intertwined? with what you do because uh not not to, to, to give them a, a ton of credit for making your channel what it is but there's definitely a connection there uh that does that also add some validity and some entertainment to your channel 100 percent, 100 percent. and actually that's a very valid question in the chronological order that you like place that too so perfect they were a key component to the direction that the channel changed because at some point I had to ask myself, what would I want to watch? So like when you think about tutorials, they are so um, by search only. And what I mean by that is so like if you are looking to just for the sake of argument, like to rebuild your FCR carburetor on your, you know, uh, late 20, you know, 2008, whatever, YZ450F, sure. like how do I rebuild my carb? So there's only going to be so many guys searching that. Yeah, but very specific, almost like a part are, number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, what, what could I do? And I feel like a lot of the listeners here too, Kate, if you're even interested in making a channel, you have to kind of ask yourself, like, what would you want to watch? Not so much like, not so much would you want to learn, but what would you want to see? And then that's what you need to put forward in your content. So I, I needed to really combine badass bikes, fixing and a rider that's better than I am. Cause I'm not good, but I'm good enough to stay on board. But like, I'm, I'm not throwing sick whips. I'm not doing anything, you know, crazy like that. And yeah, the answer they're local to me. They, they, they live like a half an hour from me, both brothers. They live in Lompoc, California and uh, they had a, a track open. Now uh, to back step just for two minutes, they did, we used to have a local track here in town and they would always come out, and it was always a spectacle when the Antiknap boys came out because they're back then they're on like CR85s and and they were just on the minis, right? But it's funny because the whole track would come, the whole everyone riding would come off the track to watch these guys ride. And I remember like, oh, the Antiknap's on the track, everyone has to get up. You don't want to get in their way. They're out there trying to put in some time, put in some laps, and like so. But everyone would watch. Everyone would get out their disposable cameras because cell phone things were not a, a thing back then. You know, yeah. people were pulling. Out cameras and, and taking pictures of them you know just blowing out berms and just going stupid fast hitting all the big doubles on these little 85s and it was it was so much fun to watch so now forward step i fell out of contact with them you know that track closed i didn't have any reason to, to see them every week anymore and and then so when i found out yeah that they opened a track at their own house and they're running motos out there i kind of rekindled that went out there said hey what's up remember me no not really but yeah kind of and you know and, and things just progressed, dude. Like it was, it was really neat. Like I just started going out there every weekend. And, and one of the things I said on Dave Drake's video too, is like, if you guys, you listeners out there, if you ever want to get involved at, on the level of pro, I think one of the best ways is just to find a local pro to you. Maybe he's not pro yet. Maybe he's like doing the schoolboy, but he's got a lot of promise and just offer to wrench on their stuff. And it goes a long way. And that's Absolutely. what I do. The, the antique naps are constantly breaking bikes. They still do. But they, back then, they were, like, constantly breaking bikes. And so I stepped up and, and very, you know, uh, humbly said, hey, I'm willing to rebuild your motor, man. And, and he's, really? You, you know, do you have any experience? And yeah. I, you know, I told him the experience I had at the time, which wasn't much to brag about. And so they just entrusted it to me. They're like, sure. So I built him a motor. And I'm talking about Tyler. Gave it back to him. He ripped on it. He loved it. It was solid. It held up. It didn't do anything weird. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of kept going out there. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, do you want to wrench for me in Supercross? And I was like, are you, you know, it was like one of those, like, pinch me. Are you serious? Like, that's what I want to do my whole entire life. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I went, just Tyler took me on board. But it, this wasn't, it wasn't that easy. I'm leaving a lot out. So, <laughs> They we, we have Castile Ranch down here, which is, like, uh, the premier place to practice Supercross. And, I would go out there every single day for weeks and not make a dime. So that's where the YouTube came in again. So 
So I would vlog working on their bikes, Supercross prep. You can go back into the old, you know, YouTube time machine of a channel that I have and see these videos still. Like, I would spend hours out there tuning spokes, filling gas, checking oil, checking uh, sag, chain slack, you know, lubing cables. And I would do this every single day for these guys for no money whatsoever. And, uh, and then the next day, I would go out and I would run the, the tractor and I would help rip the tracks for the next day. And I was always out there just giving, 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 giving nonstop. But I knew I was giving for a reason because I was getting experience. I wasn't asking for experience. I wasn't, it, was, it was something I wanted. I want the experience of working on a professional bike and seeing what needs to be attended to after each moto. So then after doing that for so long, like they just, they, they saw like, okay, he's been working on our bikes nonstop and we're able to put through our motos. Nothing's breaking. Maybe we need to give this guy a chance. And they did. And, uh, to this day, like I, I, I can't thank them enough. And I've, I've obviously voiced this to them on many opinions. And now we're like best friends or like two of my best friends in the whole world. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, it's been a crazy ride these past five, six years, just doing supercross season, motocross season, you know, indoor, outdoor, and then, going on fishing trips together. I mean, they're, they're some of the most solid dudes ever. And my situation will not be the same for a lot of guys out there, but it just worked out. And then obviously that too is how it, it eventually got me into a factory team with the uh, HEP Suzuki. Well, there you go. And yeah, like it, that's, I, I kind of see the motocross industry very much like the, the apprenticeship that I went through as a bricklayer. You have to start Toten barge, Holland Bale. You have to start from the very, very beginning, and I feel like there's a lot of people who, like, I, I've I've received messages. This is going back probably about three or four years ago now. Is someone being like, "Hey, dude, like, I think I I would really get along with Weston Pike. Do you think you could like hook me up with a to be his mechanic?" I'm like, first of all, not the right guy to ask. Secondly, like, you gotta go yeah. work for like. You got to go work for Josh Greco. No, no, nothing against Josh. Love Josh, but you got to go work for a guy no. like Greco uh, before you even have any business spinning wrenches for John Short. Before you have any business uh, uh, spinning wrenches for the next level guy, and you need to put in the time. And uh, there's there's uh, there's a lot to be said for somebody who is willing to take on uh, a job like you did, maybe for for little pay, maybe for none at all. Uh, but you are getting paid yeah. in that experience and, uh, and, and working that's on bikes. The, that's yeah, that's what the trade-off was worth to me. And my yeah. wife, she would look at me dead in the face every time. Like, I'd come home just absolutely beat from standing out in the sun at a track for four or five hours, holding out a pit board, showing them their lap times. And then as soon as they're done with their moto, come in, clean the chain, lube the chain, top off gas, check oil, all those things I mentioned. And then, like, then they're back out again and then I'm back out again too, climbing to the top of the finish line jump to give them times. And like, this was every day for like two, maybe three years. It's, I worked hard for my, the experience that I gained, but to me, it was worth every hour spent, every dollar lost. I mean, uh, because in, in between I was vlogging, I was yeah. picking up the camera and trying to spread this to the community. Like, okay, he went out, the bike feels unsettled, feels like it's blown through the stroke. We need to add some, you know, a little bit of uh, compression to the front. We need to take out from the back, blah, blah, blah. Like I explain it, break it down, talk about tire pressure, why it makes so much of a difference and how the bike feels, talk about spoke torque and how that makes the bike feel on either a dry track or a, or a muddy track, how, you know. And I tried to really, like, convey what I was learning simultaneously on the track on YouTube. And uh, that's kind of where those two kind of started to work together. And then, so yeah, when I went out with Tyler on the professional ranks and started traveling with him and picking up the camera through the airport and on the airplane and doing shuttles and hotel rooms and press day at 4 a.m. And, 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 you know, like I always was running the camera, trying to give those outsider guys a little perspective of what really is going on. 100%. You, you did a fantastic job about that, about that. And as well as uh, that also harkens back to the uh, um, like a, something that probably doesn't get driven home enough is guys like uh, the Enticknap brothers or uh, guys who are always on the bubble like Alex Ray is you'd mentioned like these kids on 80s, they go to the track and like they're the biggest deal 
from where they're from. And I think that's something that gets lost on people who watch Supercross every single weekend and they see uh, yeah. those guys go one, maybe two laps down, maybe not even make the night show against guys right. like Eli Tomac and, and those guys. You have to realize that those guys are the one percenters. Maybe they're the one percenters of the one percent. And, and that yeah. uh, if, if David Pulley or any of those guys shows up at your local track You've got nothing for them, by the way. Absolutely nothing. These guys, and, and if you're like, oh, they like, uh, like some people will say, like the Intignap brothers, they don't race a lot of outdoors. They don't have the fitness for it. If they showed up to your local track, they take home the purse at the top of every A class. I don't care where you uh, where you live, and um, yep. That really, uh, I think that's something that we totally get spoiled on watching uh, these top, top guys in the sport is that Supercross is not only the best guys in the U.S., it's the best guys in the world, and they all show up and they yeah. race on Saturdays, uh, and that's where, uh, and like they only take 20 to the main, 22 I suppose, and uh, yeah, it, it ain't easy whatsoever. I know, uh, um, like it, it's so easy to forget that the guys who are going to lap down are, are guys who would uh, like blow your doors off uh, if they ever showed up at your local track. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and this is some uh, me and Dave Drakes were talking about. Like, if you take those, so like I'll use the last race for example. We had the top three riders were qualifying in the fifty-one second time bracket in the fifty. Where they're all battling for that that fifty, but they're all just fifty-one. And then like in the very back of qualifying, we have like. Uh, Bubba Pauly, and we have uh, Joe and Cross. We have I don't I can't remember if Scotty Winterstrom made it in or not, but like uh, I think from just missed out. Um, but like we have these guys, and Greco made it, and uh, these guys, and they're down in the fifty six nine and fifty seven. So what drives me crazy is these social media warriors that get on there and try to say like these guys suck. I'm like you do not understand. Seven seconds. Go ahead. Count seven seconds right now. That's how far they finish between the fastest guy there and them. So they do not suck. They just need something that the other guys have found, whether it's better setup, you know, whether to do this rhythm section in a three, four or a, do a three on three off or whatever. But like they just figured out that they have guys like Cooper Webb, they have data acquisition guys up in the stands taking videos that are comparing him to Eli and Roxon, and then they go back to the pits, and they're like, look, at Eli's picking up a quarter of a second in this turn because he's going high in and then, and then low out. And then so Coop goes, okay, and then that's where he gets his quarter of a second. These guys are fighting over 10. So oh, the yeah. guys in the back, they're just they're, the guys in the back, they're just fighting to make a fast lap. They don't know where to put it at. They just go as fast as they can. And uh, case in point is like Justin Starling. I mean, that guy was a killer 250 rider, gets on the 450s, and he's been doing great too. But I feel like if, if Starling had a little bit more, like, people helping him with setup and doing a little bit of data acquisition on the track, like, that guy would be just in at least the top 15, like, in the main, you know. So it, it has a lot to do with, you know, just the help that you're getting at the track. But it's insane. You're right, man. Like, none of these guys suck. They would all blow your doors off at any amateur or even pro-am national. Yeah, certainly mine because I'm a, a mid-pack B rider in my early 30s. Uh, and you're totally right. Like these guys, like uh, you got Josh Greco who sleeps in the back of his van on Friday night and then shows up uh, after showing up for early morning press uh, at certain times and this, that, and the other thing. And then expected, yeah, to uh, to line up and, and navigate the same track that uh, uh, Eli uh, who are like the top guys, like they, they, a lot of them can afford to fly, fly privately into, uh, uh, into the races on a, on a Friday evening, stuff like that, completely different playing field. But when it comes to the track, they all got to do it. Uh, and it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's really impressive to me. I mean, just being on the track side, these guys are not going slow. The guys that are in the back. They're not slow. Trust me. <laughs> Definitely. Which uh, like, I already feel like we're this is this is going to be part one of maybe twenty five podcasts that we have you on because there's just so many stories. <laughs> I could probably like you could probably do a podcast for every episode for every time that you ever went to the track uh, with Tyler or Adam. Um, but let's get probably. back to the 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 YouTube channel. Um, sure. This thing really starts to sort of um, like 
you 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 really start to gain traction and consistent traction when you start to really peel back, like I said, that velvet rope and show people uh, the the guts of 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 like your. Uh, your builds, you're very raw in the way that you film stuff and you, you're not shy to th uh, show a lot of detail um, and, and just your thought process and how you work through things. Uh, and I'll also add that it's, it's probably pretty funny uh, to me that I, I feel like maybe not all, but a, a, a small portion of the skills that you show off on YouTube may or may not have been learned on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be completely fine if I said that I didn't pick this up from somewhere else. Uh, a large, though, the largest bit of pickup has either been from working alongside other great mechanics, okay. uh, be it on, you know, even when I would say in the early days with Tyler, um, I was working with uh, the Privateer Journey. You know, he was under that umbrella with Ted Parks. And then next to us was like uh, Dylan Merriam. And his mechanic was uh, BMC. Everyone pretty much knows BMC, but uh, Blake, um, he's super, super good guy, but I would just watch and not, but I wouldn't be creepy about it. But I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that is easier or that is faster or that is better than the way I was doing it. And I'm not afraid to ask either. Like, I'd be like, so when you do that, like, you know, I get in there and, and rub my elbows in the dirt and, okay, let me see how you did that. And there are guys like, like Blake, I only bring him up because, like, he's a good friend of mine, but um, – you, you kind of, you have to, because, how do I say this? You have to give yourself every way possible to learn and don't hold anything back because no one's going to look at you weird. Like, dude, what's that guy laying under the bike right now? You know, like literally checking bolts, you know, because I don't want anything to go wrong. I don't want to see anything happen. I don't want to see the unthinkable. And then, like, it come back to me and be like, oh, did you not check the, you know, the, the linkage bolts? Did you not torque the linkage bolts? No. You know, so I can say with a high level certainty, no, I, I torqued the linkage bolts. And so, but um, yeah, man, it's just, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Get in there. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a, a great takeaway from this thing in general. And, and one of the things that you probably, uh, you don't give yourself enough credit for, or maybe you're, it's completely, uh, it, it seems intentional, but it might be just uh, like completely unintentional on your part, because you're, you're a storyteller. The way, if you follow your uh, YouTube channel. It, it tells stories. You, you start from the very beginning of something. We're, we're buying the worst bike on tra uh, Craigslist, and we take it from what it was to what it will become. And, and you've done that with a number of different projects. Um, where does that idea uh, really come to you as far as like what you wanted to create, uh, as far as something that people can uh, not only follow along with, but also keep coming back to, to sort of re-up and uh, continue to um, kind of keep up with everything that you're doing? Well, I think the, the, the greatest part to any movie you ever watch is literally how they set up the movie in the beginning. Okay. Because in the beginning of the movie, you need, you need to establish three things. You need to establish the main characters, the main idea, the main objective, and you need to establish where this movie is going to go by the end or where you think it's going to go. So, like, telling a story, for me, it is not, to, to answer your question there, it is not something I do intentionally. It is, it's kind of something that just goes very organic for me, I guess. And um, I like to almost set up that whole table of contents if you will just like you would see in a book okay. where you have a beginning a middle and an end and then a crescendo you know like like the end isn't even the end there's there's more to this there's going to be a lot more to this because there's other things that i find and and other upgrades and and uh but telling the story to me provides a little bit more i don't know i i guess uh meat and potatoes, if you will. It just, it, it just provides more. And maybe a lot of people disagree with me and some people just like the cut and dry, like get to the action type stuff. But I like, I like when there's a little bit more to it, when you, you it's a, a little bit more of a show than just a how to or a video or something like that. Yeah. And that's, that's where I think where your entertainment value really lies is that uh, it, you create a lot of content it is uh, people always like, uh, some people are like, oh no, you got to keep your, your podcast shows like shorter. And I'm like, no, there's some people who, when I put out a podcast that's two hours long, they're like, my week is set. 
Like, the, like I know exactly what I'm going to be listening to. I'm going to hear some long form interviews. I'm gonna, they're going to get into some. They're going to get sidetracked. And I love when people get sidetracked. Like some people love that, some people don't. But uh, for the people who do, uh, they absolutely eat it up. And you've been able to take some of your projects and like not only see it to completion with say like the uh, buying the worst bike on Craigslist, but then also like that that you did that a year ago. And you're still using that bike with some content uh, only uh, only a month ago, uh, pitting it against that uh, the Chinese bike that you bought. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. continuing yeah. to have like almost like people have, if they, if they wanted to follow that that dirt bike that that YZ250 and and see that right. story sort of uh, like progress and and where that goes from here. And right. um, yeah, and that sort of leads me into the question of uh, the different builds you've done. Do you know how many you've done? Um, I think last time I counted was 14. And um, that was both on and off channel. Fair enough. So um, on, on channel, I, I think it's seven on channel. What was the first official build? Tell me about how that came to be and, and what was the uh, result. First build was the 2003 RM125 that we still have today. Uh, bought it locally, Craigslist, bought them in with C's, and uh, I knew I just wanted to make it better than it was when I picked it up. And um, But yeah, the 03 RM125, I think, I think was the first one. If not, then it was like a 86 or 87 RM85. Oh, those are good bikes. I, I love the, I've always wanted like an early 2000s RM. The, they look sweet. I feel like they handle great. Engines are pretty bulletproof as long as you get the jetting right. Um, and which leads me into my, my, my next question is with those bikes, I've known a ton of people who just like, perpetually and perennially had a stream of black shit down the bottom of their pipe on the early 2000s uh, RM125s. What was the solution yeah. for that, aside from just being an absolute magician with the uh, the carburetor? So, um, the, the the drool coming out of the exhaust, there's only two factors to that. And uh, one is a leaking crank seal on, 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 the, on the oil side, you know, over by the clutch. It's leaking through on the crankshaft. And it's too much oil for the engine to burn, so it comes out the, the exhaust. Or you're running just so crazy rich with your oil mixture that it just it can't burn at all in time so uh, i think what i heard on like the early rm125s is those power valves um they would gum up so easy from too much uh premix and then basically they would hang closed or hang open and then the engine couldn't run efficiently enough to burn all that oil and then so it's just a never-ending perpetual stream of, of black goo coming out of the muffler yeah my buddy ryan back in the day had his uh, his RM125, he's like, oh yeah, I, I mixed it a certain amount, and it was always, like, literally just black crap all the time, ruined his plastics, ru like, just, it, it, it ruined my impression of that motorcycle. Uh, of course, I was probably, like, 15 at the time, so I didn't really know a ton about it, but that was always right. kind of off-putting. Um, but right. what about the, the build that you did for, uh, I believe, I, don't, I think you did it for uh, Adam, was the YZ or RM250 for straight oh, rhythm. Oh, the K-Dub bike. Yeah, yeah, that must have been a cool build. So uh, that, I think, was the pivot of my channel. Okay. Was going from how-tos to customs, because just before that K-Dub bike, Adam, I had, Adam and I had done the uh, My Bike's Too Lit project. Yes. Which we wanted to create we wanted to create one of the most ridiculous looking bikes because of the culture where bikes are going today, where, um, we wanted to be beyond unconventional. We wanted to be that borderline between offensive. So like he, did, I was personally he went offended. on. Yeah, that's fine. Then mission accomplished because like we, <laughs> we, we spent time. We were looking like back at, when we were doing that, there was already like Supreme, there's guys already doing like Supreme Honda CRS, you know? Right. And we're like, no, we can't do that. We need to, we need to pick it up a notch from that. So he actually went online to some designer website and ordered, you know, uh, I forget how much, but a, a big old leather piece of Louis Vuitton that was actual Louis Vuitton leather shipped it here from Italy. 
we wrapped the seat in that thing. We had the graphics done with all the Louis Vuitton logos. We even the tires said Louis Vuitton on the tires. It was insane. We spent so much. The detail was there on this thing, and it, and it didn't. And it didn't even look that good. But it was so funny because we put all this money and time into this thing, and we loved it because it was like everything you could do to a bike. We polished the frame. The engine was insane. You know, we had uh, Tokyo Mods do an entire race motor on this thing. We had A-kit suspension with fully anodized, you know, shock shaft and forks. And then the most expensive wheels, most expensive exhaust, most expensive everything. He cut no corners. And the bike looked like ass. It looked like ass, but it's funny to us. Like, we look at it now, we're like, dude, that bike was sick. Sure, the graphics are a miss, but the rest of that bike was insane. Yeah, so, com- components-wise, that thing was pretty awesome. If you didn't love the the color scheme, that's up to you. There's plenty of color schemes out there that's not for everybody. But, uh, I, yeah, you're right. That was a bit of a linchpin to sort of uh, send you forward because if I look at that video, 40,000 views for that, the ones before it and right after it was a thousand like 1,700 views and 12,000. So it, it was uh, that was a, that was a big video for you. Yeah, yeah, and then shortly after when we did the the RM for the Wyndham rebuild for the straight rhythm, that was a bike in a box, and I was like, dude, this is perfect. We have to, like, spend the time and make the thing sick. At the time, Adam had just signed up with uh, Suzuki, and so it made sense to ride a Suzuki in straight rhythm, uh, and so, yeah, uh, Kevin Wyndham, he was a big uh, role model to Adam growing up, and um, he just wanted to go full bore on that one too. And, and we did, we went full bore. And that again was just kind of like the real pivoting point of my channel. Cause I know it's okay. This is what I would want to see. If I sat down at my TV, I would want to see someone do a full insane bike build. And that's where I just kind of redirected my channel while trying to include all the empowering stuff. So, you know, I previously mentioned, but at the same time, providing another aspect and another goal, not to just necessarily rebuild these bikes to be cool, but just to be something else completely. 100%. Now, um, eventually we need to get into the uh, your, your 500cc project, uh, as well as I kind of want to pick your brain about this Chinese bike. Uh, but we are running out of time for your first time uh, on the Big MX Radio podcast. But um, all of these builds, none of them happen uh, and and no, no cool stuff ever happens in the sport of motocross without uh, having uh, some great sponsors, some people that you work with, but also building those relationships so that you can rely on people so that when, when you're, you're providing value and then you, you, you need some extra special uh, treatment as far as parts or this, this, that, and the other thing, uh, you can rely on that. Um, yeah. What has like who has been some of your uh, most valued connections? How do you keep those connections warm and uh, and continue to provide value for these sponsors that are really really important to for you to continue to do what you do? Well, uh, one thing that's different about me than I'll just say some other bike builders out there is I don't float around. Uh, I get when when a company decides to help me. I give them first dibs on every future project if they want to get involved or not, because I feel like that help that they've given me in the past is invaluable. And I need to give them a chance to say if they're satisfied and if they want to stay on, or if they want to just move on in a different direction. Right. Having said that, things like uh wrench rabbit, uh, Jay Clark, pivot works, hot rods, uh, vertex, uh, all balls, fuel star, that whole conglomerate, that's one company. Yeah. And, uh, they've, they've literally, since even before the antique naps, they've been helping me out. Uh, sure, I was paying, I was, you know, paying maybe a little bit of a discount on them, but that was an amazing thing being able to have them. That they're they're my longest uh, company that's been on board, and I can't thank them enough. Got uh, Bolt MX Hardware. It's a local company to me. They've never asked a question. They've always had the kit out next day. Um, Dunlop Tires, um, Aramoto Graphics polysport plastics whenever they get a new uh kit in they made sure i was the first one to get the rm125 restyle kit in the nardo gray they're like this is the first one that we have that's out do you want it for a video i'm like yes i do so uh, you know uh dirt trick sprockets um phoenix handlebars he's kind of new to the scene but i can't i can't say enough good things about phoenix handlebars everything from their quality the attention to detail and the customer support is, is just 
insane. Uh, smart carb, an absolute game changer to my builds. Recluse clutches, fathead racing. I, I, I mean, every you could almost name every part of a bike, and I got someone that's helping me along the way. AHM suspension, um, Huga out of Canada. Hey, there you uh, go. Making the making some pipes for me for the 325. Some handmade cone pipes that just are insane in, in, in craftsmanship, attention to detail. And then uh, Eddie Sanders Racing, um, just all those guys, man. I mean, like I said, I, I have everyone helping on every side of the bike, every little pivot, pivoting thing and thing that moves. I got support, and I can't thank any of those guys enough. That's awesome, dude. And it's amazing to see that you've been able to, uh, uh, like, bring those people together and have all of those like have non non conflicting sponsors, and you do have things that kind of like uh, conf conflict a little bit. I'm sure you're able to handle those types of things. Uh, yeah. What has been maybe like the, um, like they're all awesome. But what would you say is is your big more most valued sponsor aside from Phoenix Handlebars? Yeah, aside from Phoenix. Um probably ahm uh brandon and the boys down there they go every extra mile uh to make sure that i am completely happy and uh I, they've knocked it out like clean out the park on everything that they've done for me and uh really really close like second place i don't even want to call it second it's like first and a half if you could do that would be the whole wrench rabbit organization yeah, those guys are amazing. Those guys have so many different, whether it's, uh, like you said, all balls or uh, Vertex Pistons. Yeah, Vertex, Hot Rods, Hot Cams, you name it, man. Comedic, I think, is the, they own Comedic now, or is it, um, uh, uh, I can't, Winder, uh, it's a gassy company. I can't remember, and it, this is bad on me right here, but um, Winderosa, I think they, they own Winderosa now, too. So, yeah, big, big company that, is very helpful fair enough so uh th those guys are amazing i think my my good friend matt weller works in uh, uh inventory control over there so maybe between you and me and matt something falls off the back of the truck and uh uh continues to uh, allow your your channel to grow that much more um <laughs> do we want do we want to talk about project 500 here i think that that's one of my favorite builds that you've done and there's a ton of work that went into it and then i also have to ask you why you went with um maybe the ugliest uh plastic kit that has ever come stock on a yamaha oh my god now we're gonna fight dude because to me <laughs> if you look at pictures of the 08 James Stewart or Chad Reed, why the the uh, the San Manuel yeah. Yamaha? <laughs> I think that is one of the best looking bikes on the track. Fight me, it's all right. I know a lot of guys like that Geico Honda in that area too, which was I agree is a great looking bike. I like but the Cowie. For, for me, okay, well I don't like the Cowie. I didn't like that two piece shroud that they did. I think no, it was that was ugly, stupid, and all the all the weird arcs and angles that they had, the holes in the airbox on the on the rear. Fair enough. The little old. dots. Yeah. It, it looked it looked old even when it was new to me. True, so, it that, looked bulbousy if it looked anything else. It looked like a big round ball of a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, I, I really had really two of those bikes. Uh, those those are those not great memories, including a bike that broke in half. We saw that on Instagram today. Yep, that's the famous one right there. That it, it sort of is famous though. I like I show people that picture. Like I've seen that picture before. I'm like, that's my bike. That's my like the yep. Kawasaki I've, I've leaning up against the fence. I've seen that. I've seen that thing being scraped off by the dozer in quite a few photos from pages that weren't you. Yeah, oh, 100. percent I I, I I haven't seen a nickel. But um, take me through this whole Yamasaki uh, build. 500 cc's of badness um yeah you've put some time on this thing now you broke her in she's beautiful she sounds great she looks great um to you and uh give me the whole rundown <laughs> oh my god so i had a 1987 kx500 i was i planned to do a full frame up on and uh, i sent the frame out to powder coating and the powder coater called me after he sandblasted. He goes, you know, this thing's cracked all over the place, right? And I said, no, I don't. So I went down there and looked, and sure enough, head tube, frame stays, foot peg mounts. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was a nightmare. This this frame was lost. And sure, I could have just gone on to eBay and paid way too much for an 87KX500 frame and, and 
start over again. But I was scared that I would get another frame that's just cracked. And as soon as I put it to the powder coater and he sandblasted, he would just find cracks all over those things. So um, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to put this engine in an AF. I'm going to make conversion bike, but I want something that it needs to go into, meaning I want a bike that handles and is known for handling and braking because those are like two things I really need for a 500 engine to be bolted into. So that was the bike that came to mind was that 06 to 09 period YZ450 because if any of your listeners take offense to this, I am so sorry, but those five-valve engines were ass. They were just so bad. They were powerful when they're new. They're great when they're new. But as soon as that five-valve head got hot, that center valve on the intake would always seize. You would drop a valve, bend it, and then you roach the head, and then the bike is never the same after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted, I knew there was going to be some out there that had a blown engine, and I had to find it, and I, I did. I had to drive a few hours to go get it. Paid way too much money for it, but that's fine. Story of my life. Uh, but, yeah, and then that's where I was like, you know what, this 500 is going in this thing, and I, it was predestined. Even in that video when I first kind of proposed it, I'm like, listen, this engine's going in here, and it's it's going to work because these, these frames, these bikes uh, for their time period were one of the best handling uh, up there with the Honda. And, I, you know, Sure, to some, they're not the best looking, but that's where I really tried to incorporate the Kawasaki styling into the Yamaha that really throw people off. No doubt. This thing's coming at you from a a ton of different angles. Uh, So the early 90s KX uh, graphics. Um, Yeah, the bike looks cool. Sounds cool, I imagine as well. What about the front end of the uh, of the of the bike? Is that all modern? Is there or is that uh, more of is is it like old technology? I assume that it's you've updated it as many of the the five hundred projects have gone towards something along those lines. Yeah, so uh, I, it's very much more modern. Um, the the carburetor's uh, smart carb, so it, it's like fuel injection for this thing, uh, and that's okay. the, not an exaggeration. It's like fuel injection. It's right there all the time. Um, Adam Millar, MRE up in BC also, he uh, made me a custom cylinder head for this thing with a decompressed valve on it to take uh, the pressure off your foot when you're kickstarting, and, and it fires right up. And then, yeah, with the HM suspension, kind of bringing all those things together, it feels very modern. Um, it just, uh, it vibrates, but yeah, no 500 was ever known not to vibrate. I was going to say it's, it's, a uh, it's a, first of all, it's a, a big board two stroke. Heck my, my Oh five KX 250 vibrates like no tomorrow. Um, but what were, were there any other hiccups within that build that, uh, kind of like set you back and, uh, when things like that do happen, uh, does that put more stress on you to not be able to put out videos when you'd like to put them out or does that just provide, provide more content? It provides more content, but the, the hiccups, I mean, you're, you're putting an engine that didn't go to this, nor was it manufactured for it in any way. So everything from exhaust clearance, where the pipe comes out of the front of the cylinder, uh, it has to go through the, the frame. So you have to modify the frame. You have to modify the lower engine mounts. You have to make upper engine mounts. Uh, radiators that weren't for that bike, you have to convert radiators. You have to clearance for an air boot now, the much larger air boot. Uh, that the swing arm pivot bolt that goes through the swing arm and the backside of the engine was not the same size. You have to machine out the back of the case to make it, you know, fit through. And then lastly, an exhaust pipe that, you know, basically has to be made to fit that whole frame geometry. There's so many, there's so many working pieces and and, uh, just putting it together is not, if that was the issue, there'd be so many more conversions out there, but there's, there's a, there's more that went into this bike than any of my previous bikes. Uh, but the difference was, is I, now I had more experience to break it down into like, I think it's like a six or seven part video instead of like the worst bike on Craigslist, which was like a 14 part video. So the, uh, yeah, this thing, it, it definitely fought me along the way, but I was smarter than it was for once and was able to accommodate certain, uh, obstacles, everything from engine mounting, pipe mounting, um, routing hoses and radiators i mean you you name it this thing was it it fought me every step of the way but i just uh i was trying to be one step ahead on everything difficult builds making you maybe a better builder and a better youtuber all together in one um tell me about a video that you put a ton of work into you're super proud of it and then you were disappointed in how many views that video got. So maybe people can go search that out right now and boost up those views. 
I would have really liked to seen the Wyndham bikes do better. Like, uh, yeah. in, in retrospect, looking at like what the Yamasaki's doing now with the worst bike on Craigslist did on its launch, where it's like already creeping up to a million in combined views. And like, uh, I wish the Wyndham bike had got a little bit more, um, not sure what we did wrong. Uh, if we did anything wrong at all, but that one was kind of, uh, I may, maybe the, the crowd didn't attract to that whole Kevin Wyndham side of it. You know, I mean, even the, the GPX bike is, is doing better. The Chinese bike, as you mentioned, is doing better in analytics and than the Wyndham bike is. I, you can personally blame Kevin Wyndham for basically going completely MIA on everybody and, uh, and becoming a, the hermit of professional motocross because if, if like, he, that guy went off the fucking map as far as like, and then, then justifiably so he, the guy earned it, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, unless you were a diehard fan, uh, you, you haven't like, aside from, uh, one, uh, like it almost feels like he didn't show up at, um, the Lord knows you. The Team USA didn't at Red Bud. Like it almost feels like he wasn't there at the designations. Yeah, no, he he was out of shape. Uh, he looked like Forrest Gump. He was, you know, he kind of looked like a homeless guy that they picked off the streets. But let's be honest, you know, kind of going back to what we're talking about about all the uh, the guys who were finishing, you know, top fifty in qualifying at Supercross. Like he still put it in. He still oh, did yeah. work. He he definitely didn't leave the sport like a lot of us had hoped. Um, and, but he left a mark for a lot of us that were watching Supercross through the eighties and nineties. He left a big mark on us. I mean, that guy raced all the way into the 2013, 13, 14, I think was his last... yeah, 13 or I maybe mean, like the put... second race of 14. And he was like, yeah, yeah no, he, he put, no, thanks. He, he put in a hell of a career, multiple championships on both 125, 250. I mean, this guy, he was a freight train and he was so solid. Every time he'd come out to the track, I don't even know if you remember, you probably do, but his, his uh, introductions in Supercross, he would do make these huge transfers in the track, going from one lane to another. And like the crowd would freak out and like, Oh my God, he just jumped from the finish line double all the way into the rhythm section. You know, the guy was, he's so talented and yeah, he did. He, he exited kind of almost like a JS seven where we just never saw him again. Yeah, like I remember, like he came out for a few more opening ceremonies that year, uh, like, like for lack of better terms, basically just ghosted on everybody. But at, at the same time, I don't think anyone was expecting uh, Kevin Windham to become like a uh, a trainer. He wasn't exactly known for that during his career, even for like on or off the bike. He was just so touted for having on all this uh, unbelievable talent, and um, yeah that came along with it. So I'm not super surprised. He's got, he's got kids. He's got a beautiful wife and, and a track in his own backyard. Uh, I would probably do something pretty similar. He's probably not going out and buying a bike from China and putting it through its paces. Uh, take me through that thought process and how that's going so far. That was an absolute goal of mine. Uh, in the, in the last year and a half, I was like, I, I wanted to make it to the level where a manufacturer would send me a machine to try, test, build on, how-tos, whatever. And I didn't really care who it was. I was like, dude, please, someone give me a chance. I need that opportunity. And I reached out to GPX because I saw, I saw some photos on Instagram of these guys ripping what I thought was a Husqvarna. And I was like, I kind of swiped by it, but then it said like Pitster Pro in, in, the, in the title. And I was like, what, Pitster Pro? And then I saw it was a GPS. And I, so I dug into them, researched them, found this whole community of guys who ride these things for insane amount of hours and have absolutely no issues whatsoever. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, why, have, why doesn't the world know about these things? Why is it such a little community that rides these things? Come to find out, you know, that, yeah, 100% China-made, a lot of copied technology, uh, but where they copied the biggest part is in the suspension and the frame geometry. You sit on this thing, it feels like a Husqvarna, it feels like a KTM. They've really borrowed all the geometry. And um, the suspension is completely knocked off of, uh, of WP and all the efforts that they made. And so I, was, I, I don't get into the political side of things, China and all that crap. I, I just don't. Like, I just like to ride dirt bikes, and I really don't care what everyone else wants to say or get involved with and on that level. I just like to ride dirt bikes. Anything that has to do with that, I am on board 100%. So I reached out to GPX, told them about the channel, told them about what I do. 
asked him if they'd like to get involved. Uh, he said, let's stay in touch. I'm not close to the idea. Let's stay in touch. Hit me up next year, and we'll see what we can do. And, yes, yeah, so I hit him up, I think, February. Got back to him, and he's like, yeah, let's get you out one of our 450s and, you know, make some fun videos on it. And so he sent it out. And uh, a fellow YouTuber of mine, uh, Charles, uh, MX Revival, good friend of mine, he also has a China bike. He has the SSR, I think it is a 300. And I said, let's put these things up against each other, but not necessarily like a comparison, but more like let's put them out there and just battle and have fun, a fun day of riding on these things and uh, see what we both kind of think about them. And I was tickled pink. This bike is insanely good. It's not powerful like you would imagine a 450 to be. It's more of like a rem- it's reminiscent power to like a DRZ 400, but it's so reliable. It's silly. Like Jay Clark came to my house and he's looking this bike over. I'm showing him all the billet co- components of the thing. I mean, billet hubs, um, shifters, fork lugs, like things that Supercross guys pay a hundred, like hundreds of thousands dollars for to get these components and billet and it comes stock on the gpx and i was like wow so yeah uh, we're about 200 miles on this thing now of really really hard gnarly trail abuse riding it on track single track dragging it through rocks and uh, it always fires right up and is ready to go it's, it's really incredible it's uh all the ignition is all delphi ignition same stuff they use in Chevrolet trucks for eons. Uh, so like the ECU's Delphi, the fuel fuel injectors Delphi. So it's got quality components on it. And um, these engines, uh, it's insane. On the um, on the manual for these bikes, they don't even recommend the first uh, valve adjustment till five thousand miles. So that's per their own engineering, you know, research and development. They said first. <laughs> check on the valve is at 5,000 miles. I'm at 200 and I feel like I've been beating this thing so hard and I can't imagine like going to 5,000 miles on this thing, but riding how we have and it, and then just going to check the valves, but that's what they say. And it's really incredible to me, man. I mean, the bike MSRP is out at like 59.99, and they ship to your door and you put on the front end, you put on the foot pegs and you're off to the trails. There you go, man. That's pretty cool. I, I I think a lot of people are curious about those bikes, and it's a great investment on your part because, A, it's it's going – the bike is performing well for you, but I think that scratches a lot of curiosity for people who have no idea about that entire world. And they're almost like, oh, like uh, let, uh, let Lund make, uh, possibly make mistakes on our behalf, and then he can find out for us. But uh, it's turned out – uh, even better because you're probably getting uh, a ton of views for it, as well as uh, uh, as well as enjoying your motorcycle. And that's what's most important. Yeah, that and I've actually, you know, through the videos, I've sold some units for GPX too. Guys, I've got hit up on Instagram where they they took a chance, just like I did. They're and they go ahead and got one shipped to them, and now they're like they're in the same boat as I am. They're like, okay, it's heavy, not as powerful as a normal 450. But holy crap, this thing's the suspension's great. It's not it's not amazing, but it's that step under, like in stock. It's really that good. Has quality wheels, quality everything's quality. And and like they're they're kinda of in the same position where I'm in. It's like, okay, when is it gonna when is it gonna leave me high and dry on a trail? When am I gonna hit the starter button because they're e start fuel injected bikes? When am I gonna hit the e start and it's not gonna start? Am I gonna get you know, so that's kinda of still like We'll see, but no indication, like right now, of anything like that even coming close to happening. It's just a workhorse. Love it. Love it, man. You're a workhorse and putting out content. If people are, aren't already following uh, LundMX on YouTube, you need to do so. If you're on Instagram as well, you need to also follow him uh, there. And uh, what can people, you can give people a little bit of a teaser, what they can look forward to with some uh, some content coming down the pipe from you there, Clint. Okay, so we're finishing up. We're, we're, it's not finished yet, but we're finishing our 2005 KX250 Supercross build. Uh, this is going to be our rendition if uh, KX, as Kawasaki was still making the KX252 stroke today, and what you would expect to see at the Supercross track. That one's I like engineering that. Engineering completion. Uh, after that is uh, my 1991 KX500 um, OG, complete OG rebuild, but with yes. some uh, definitely new, neat, neat creature features that are just coming out, and uh, that's going to make the bike that much better. 
And uh, I can't mention another one, but there's going to be another frame conversion bike using a YZ250 motor. Um, and it's going to stay YZ250 motor, but it's going into a completely brand new hot off the welding press of the manufacturer. And it's going to get a YZ engine. There you go, my friend. Well, I'm looking forward to that, keeping us on the edge of our seats. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to see what comes next for you. And uh, we're going to have to do this again sometime, uh, whether it be I'm to, down. to have you come on to talk about uh, Supercross, something we didn't even get to chat about, how the fact that uh, uh, Eli Tomac is not the champion that he once was nope. uh, as far as 2021 is concerned and, and how somehow – that uh, although he just gave up the points lead only a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, that uh, aside from a three-race uh, sweep of Indianapolis, uh, like you can't even really say that Ken Roxon's had the most amazing season so far. It's all been it's been a lot of Cooper Webb, and especially when we went to Texas. Um, but uh, this was awesome. I had so much fun chatting with you. We're gonna have to do it again sometime. We have to to, to dive deeper into some of the bills that you've done in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think we're, uh, we've just about covered it for the first time we're having on the podcast. How was it? Dude, this is fun for sure. This is way more fun than the collective experience. I, I've always said that, you know what? I've always said that, uh, not only behind Dave's back, but also directly to his face. Um, and, uh, and that's no, why kidding. we love Dave. I'm kidding. Dave Drake, if you're listening, I'm totally kidding. This is, this is fun. I like this for sure. I'm not. Anyway, um, as, as always, this has been fantastic. We wanted you to come back on. We're, we're going to go uh, part two, part three, maybe part 55 at some point. But uh, yeah. you have a great rest of your day. Uh, get back into the garage. Uh, get those knuckles dirty uh, so you can produce more content for YouTube uh, for us, uh, all us followers, to enjoy. Uh, don't hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. Yeah.